Welcome to Ufahamu Africa, a podcast about life and politics on the African continent. I'm Kim Dion, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my co-host and collaborator, Rachel Beatty-Riedel. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Kim. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be back this week for our newest episode and to discuss some of the interesting news from across the continent. So I recently read an update on the status of the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, and their commission's plan to create a common currency within the West African Monetary Zone by the year 2020. And this project is now in an accelerated phase in order to move quickly towards economic, financial, and monetary integration of ECOWAS. It's kind of exciting given that you know, I mean, just in the context of Brexit, right? Like people are trying to leave the Eurozone. I, uh, I like this idea of African countries coming together, right? Like the, the All Africa Passport, but now of course this ECOWAS zone, that's, that's really neat. Yes. And as we all know from watching the ups and downs of the Eurozone and thinking about the important challenges and also the opportunities from a shared currency, ECOWAS is starting to put in place some plans to deal with those realities and is trying to require the member countries to pursue now a set of structural reforms within each respective economy to help them deal with these potential fluctuations in the prices of raw materials and enable their economies to be more resilient to exogenous shocks that will surely come along the way. So is there anything is there anything kind of interesting or exciting from like a citizen perspective with this ECOWAS currency? Well, it's interesting. So ECOWAS is launching um, a competition among citizens in the region to submit proposals for the name and the logo of the proposed single currency. And so it's supposed to symbolize unity and shared cultural and historical values of ECOWAS. So be on the lookout. We'll all be intrigued to hear more about how that unity and, and shared values are imagined and articulated through that project. Yeah, I'm excited to see some of the drawings and, and, and also the names that people could come up with, um, given all the many languages people can draw from, as well as proverbs. I'm sure uh, something cool will come out of that. Um, so in a bit of bad news, there's actually some distressing news coming out of Tanzania um, regarding press freedom. So two staffers of the Committee to Protect Journalists were detained by the Tanzanian government this week. Immigration and security officials detained Angela Kintal and Mutoki Mumo at their hotel in Dar es Salaam, and then uh, took them to an unknown location, interrogated them about their work for hours. And during their detention, Kintal and Mumo's passports, phones, and computers were seized. And perhaps, you know, really distressing, while they were detained, someone actually sent a false tweet from Kintal's personal Twitter account saying that they had been released when in fact they were still um, being detained. The good news, of course, out of all of this is that both staff members have been released from detention and have finally gotten their passports back. They've safely left Tanzania. Wow. It, it certainly raises important concerns about press freedom and freedom more generally in Tanzania that we will be tracking throughout the podcast. Definitely. And actually, on that note, there's a really great piece in African Arguments published this week by Elsie Akuse about what it's like to be a woman online in Tanzania. So kind of more in this general frame of understanding freedom in Tanzania. Um, I particularly like Elsie's tagline for the piece, right, that Tanzanian Twitter has lost its chill. Ayakuze writes that Tanzanian Twitter has become a scary place for women and for dissenters. And we just want to give a shout out to Elsie, who some of you may know as the writer behind the Miko Cheni Report, which is a blog on politics that has unfortunately been on hiatus since new legislation in Tanzania has limited what bloggers can write online. We hope that we can bring her voice onto the show sometime in the near future. And in the meanwhile, we definitely encourage our listeners to follow her on Twitter. 
Thanks for that update, Kim. And another interesting development um, across the continent um, is in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is actually set to launch its first Earth Observatory satellite in September of next year. And um, this is a really interesting example of highly advanced and deeply integrated scientific and technological collaboration between Ethiopia and China, um, Mm -hmm. because the satellite itself will be launched from China, but the control and the command station will be based in Ethiopia. Um, So there are a lot of design and development and manufacturing um, types of goals that, um, that Ethiopia is accomplishing with this collaboration. And the first is really to think about the increasing the technological capacity and skills of the domestic engineering team. Mm -hmm. And secondly, interestingly, it's also a goal for the country from this satellite to be able to save money and resources that they use to spend buying data and information that it could collect for its own development agenda. So the satellite will be used to gather data on water and agriculture, climate change and the environment, which then could ostensibly be used by governments and agricultural producers across the region. That's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So when Ethiopia puts this device into orbit, it will join seven other African countries that have built and launched satellites. So those others are South Africa, Egypt, Nigeria, Ghana, Algeria, Morocco, and neighboring Kenya, which just launched its nano satellite in May of 2018. So that's quite a collection. Indeed. Um, So one thing before we wrap up for this week, I do want to let our listeners know that there are a couple of other podcasts that they might be interested in. So I just learned this week about a podcast called On Africa, which is hosted by Travis Adkins. And I know that last week in the news wrap, you had mentioned the elections going on in Cameroon and Paul Bia um, being reelected. And and the most recent podcast episode of Travis Adkins On Africa actually has an in-depth conversation about Cameroonian politics. So for folks who wanted to learn more about that, I encourage them to check it out. Also, I just found out, in fact, this morning at about 4.30 in the morning, I was listening to a new podcast out of CSIS by Judd Devermont, and it's called Into Africa. And it uh, seems like a high quality production. And uh, as, as folks who are longtime listeners may know, Judd Devermont was actually a guest on our podcast before he became famous with his own podcast. So uh, we want to encourage our listeners to check those out if you're needing more African content than what we can provide you here on Upahamu Africa. That sounds great. We'll have to take a listen. On Monday morning, we're going to post links to what we've mentioned in this episode, as well as bonus links on our website, ufamuafrica.com. Today's featured conversation is with Antonia Kalu, a professor of comparative literature and of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California, Riverside. Professor Kalu earned her PhD in African Languages and Literature from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She is the past president of the African Literature Association. She is the author or editor of a number of books, including an award-winning anthology of African literature. Thank you for agreeing to chat with us at Ufahamu Africa about your work. The first thing I wanted to ask about was 15 years ago, Ohio University Press published a collection of short stories that you wrote, Broken Lives and Other Stories. Your day job then and and now is actually as a professor teaching and doing research on comparative literature. And I wonder how you would compare these two approaches to literature, writing it and, you know, creating it and also teaching about it. First of all, thank you for for chatting with me. Most of the time I'm living in between the two Mm. because storytelling has always been a part of my life oral storytelling Mm -hmm. and writing 
eventually. I think I've always written. I haven't always published what I write. I still don't. <laughs> right. Because uh, many times what the stories I write, I keep to myself. In between the two, I find that those who write mm-hmm. also do literary criticism hmm. actively mm-hmm. because that's the only way, at least for me, mm-hmm. the only way that I can arrive at conclusions about mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. about place and setting. You have to actively think about the outcome mm-hmm. before you can do it. But also, the, the other part of it is the outcome you think of as a writer is not always the outcome that the literary critic, when you become the literary critic of your work, that's also not the outcome that you'll reach. Mm. So there is a balancing act that has to take place. So you think for, it's, a, it's a natural combination then for you for to, me, to be yeah. a, a creative and also to be a critic? Absolutely. Interesting. Sometimes I actually have to struggle to find a place where there's a boundary mm-hmm. between the two. And when you look at some of my, my literary critical works, they actually sound like stories. Hmm. <laughs> they actually do, like, uh, do sound like I'm telling a story. Right. Because that's my natural voice in my engagement of comparative literature. Generally, yes. Stories are so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's such a great yes. way of, of teaching people, but also of, of, you know, demonstrating concepts and ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you recently embarked on a new digital humanities project that, you know, should turn into some online courses about African literature that includes video interviews that you conducted with African storytellers. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that project and what you hope to come of it? I started doing this project actually because of my position Mm -hmm. in the the first question that you asked about where does storytelling end and where does literary criticism begin Uh and and all of that. And as I've taught both African and African-American literature Mm -hmm. over the years as a professor, Mm -hmm. I noticed that especially with African literary material that there has to be something to bridge that which is already said about Africans and that which is written about them. Uh. And, and so what I started doing, because sometimes I'll come to class when I teach something like uh, Things Fall Apart, mm-hmm. and we talk about kola nuts. And every time I've thought about kola nuts, I would say like 90% of my time teaching when I've taught Things Fall Apart and I've thought, uh, talked about kola nuts, mm-hmm. the students want to see it. Yes. And so, what does it look like when they break does, it? Yeah. I don't understand what that means. Yeah. How do you, how do you break it? Yeah. And what do you do after you break it? Mm-hmm. How does it taste? Is it a nut? Mm-hmm. And is it hard? And so on. So most of the time when I teach, things fall apart. I go and look for cola nuts mm. to show my students. And then I show them how to, you know, what the ritual mm-hmm. sounds like and yes. what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then we'll cut it up and some of them will eat it and they're like, eh, it doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> I say, but that's what a cola nut is. Mm-hmm. And it has certain properties and so on. So as I've taught African literature, especially over the years, 
I found myself having to bring some cultural materials to the classroom mm -hmm. to get my, especially American students, mm -hmm. to understand what it is that they're reading mm -hmm. and what they're hearing in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I also did some research in University of KwaZulu-Natal. Mm -hmm. And I found that the students in South Africa do not understand most of what it is to be a Nigerian. Mm. And the same thing when I worked in Nigeria, there was that gap mm -hmm. between the young people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so evident in the way that they're taught. Mm -hmm. And although uh, South Africa and Nigeria have this connection to the United Kingdom, there isn't really much correlation right. in terms of what the students are learning. So I'm doing this digital humanities project, not so much for United States students in U.S. higher education, but also for the African students right. to help bridge most of the gaps that do exist on the continent in terms of the knowledge bases mm -hmm. for the students mm -hmm. for the future. Because as I'm looking at the situation in many African countries, the gaze is outwards, away from the continent, mm -hmm. and there isn't that much interaction. Never mind th that there is the AU. Right. <laughs> right. So that's there. But as a typical African and a typical <laughs> African woman, you know that, mm -hmm. that there isn't much correlation between government and people. Yes. And so if it's possible to bring Africa's future mm -hmm. to a certain place mm -hmm. using story mm -hmm. and using Africa's stories mm -hmm. to do that, mm -hmm. it would be a great blessing for us. That's also one of the reasons that I wrote about, I wrote the collection of short stories Right. Uh, Broken Lives, which is about the Nigeria Nigeria Biafra War. Yes. And about the women and children, because every everywhere you look, it was the valorization of Obunigwe, the weapons that were used, mm -hmm. and the discussions about hunger, Kwashoka, and all of that, mm -hmm. when there were other things happening mm -hmm. in the war mm -hmm. that most of the time it's it's not talked about. Right. And the same thing across the continent today. There are many things about Africa that even Africans don't talk about, don't know about each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. And so during the Digital Humanities Project, the University of California, they awarded me this grant to do the innovative, it's called ILTI, mm -hmm. Innovative Learning Technology initiative mm -hmm. project and the grants are used to develop new kinds of courses mm -hmm. to enable the UC system to accomplish a different kind of engagement with students in the virtual classroom. And so I had this grant to develop two courses online Introduction to African Literature in general mm -hmm. and Introduction to Women in African Literature. Mm -hmm. 
So the second, the second class, I, I just titled that Women in African Literature. Mm -hmm. And for both classes, I go back to the beginning. I go back to ancient Egypt and give presentations through the present. The project itself took me to four different countries. I'm from Nigeria, but I, so I entered Nigeria twice. Mm. So I went to South Africa to Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone. Mm. So I went in that order and then from Sierra Leone I went back, back. to Nigeria and did interviews. I interviewed professors who teach anything you can imagine in African studies. Mm -hmm. But I paid attention quite a bit to people teaching African literature, mm -hmm. African languages. Mm -hmm and performance mm -hmm. studies. Mm. I had colleagues in different universities. They helped with organizing meetings, interviews. And of course, I gave some lectures mm -hmm. <laughs> to help to help move things along. I've launched both classes. So I've done okay. a pilot okay. of each, each of those classes this past year. So mm -hmm. the research was in 2016 from October through December. And then I came back mm -hmm. and began to work on the actual building the, the classes. Right. And then by the fall of 17, I launched the first one. Wow. And so in less than a year, you yeah. went from collecting the stories and the interviews yes to having the class launch. That's fascinating. Yeah, so that I seems superhuman. <laughs> I can't imagine that. So yeah. I'm curious, you know, in all of this, I know that you also collected some stories. I did. And I wonder if there's any one story in particular you would hope a broader audience could hear or know more about. Most of the stories that I collected, mm -hmm. I haven't seen written down anywhere mm. because what I did was to interview I started in elementary schools at all the locations. So I went into elementary school classrooms and had the children actually tell the stories oh that they're hearing yeah. now. And they were just sweet. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> can only imagine, good. yes. They enjoyed it more than I did mm -hmm. because they liked having you know the camera in front, mm -hmm. of me, in front of them and they were good performers and there were a number of stories that I collected from families where the mothers mm. told the you know they gathered the children around and right. they told them their stories many of those stories because I went to different countries and mm -hmm. of course uh, looked at different language groups mm. many of them are to the African oral literary scholar sound familiar but they're Variants mm -hmm. across. This is part of what I'm doing yeah. in, in my general research right. and looking at that, how those stories change from one location to the other. And like I said earlier, most of these individuals and communities don't know about each other. Right. And so to go in and you hear the good girl, bad girl story. Right. And it's told a different way right. in Southern African environment. And mm -hmm. then you hear it again in Sierra Leone. Right. Um, so I, I wonder what, what projects are you working on now? I'm working on 
a second edition of my book on women literature and development, hmm. which is a, a more theoretical mm-hmm. piece on African literature. And so hopefully that'll be done by, <laughs> so if, by if, January. If you're working on a second edition for that, I'm curious to know, will there be a second edition of your African Women Poets volume? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, we it, can do that. It, it made me think, you know, earlier when we were chatting about um, how you were saying, you know, there's there's opportunities even for um, people in one, one African country to learn from people in another African country, right? There's not as much cross-pollination there that, you know, your anthology, right? What I, what I loved about this is how it, ha- it lists, right? It starts, it organizes them by country. Mm-hmm. And so it's... In addition to being a nice introduction for some people who may not be African women poet, that's not just for, you know, an American student, really anyone in the world who wants to see if there's some themes carrying through. And, and there's, you know, there's been, you know, new poems that have come out since this book came mm-hmm. out. So I'm just, I was just wondering, and, mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing more, maybe not more, but maybe there's more attention to African women poets today than there were when this volume came out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was mm-hmm. just wondering... Well, this was a, a fun book to do, this anthology, mm-hmm. and I started working on it because I just wasn't finding enough new women poets to mm-hmm. teach. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why not, you know, put them together and do it? Yes. And since then, like you said, there's more. And of course, there is more access to the internet and right. people are self-publishing right. and, and on Twitter and Tumblr everything. and yeah, yeah, everything. And, and so this collection, I think is, um, I think people did that when it first came out, they would buy it for mother's day, mm. know, mother's day gift mm-hmm. because it has, so it's, it's such a spread. Uh, I think, yes. uh, I think we, we featured maybe 14 different countries yes. or so, not a whole lot given the number of sovereign nations on the continent, but right. enough. With regional variation, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. So one thing I want to ask you that we ask of all of our guests at the end of our interviews is, are there any books that you've read recently that you might recommend to our listeners? Well, there's always things fall apart. Always. Which I always yes. read for insights, because I never get tired of of reading that yeah. and I'm always rereading that that's all we have for my interview with Antonia Kalu after my recorder battery failed she also mentioned Ngugi Wationgo's latest book published earlier this year Wrestling with the Devil a Prison Memoir that concludes our episode for this week find us online and tell us what you're reading and learning about the continent don't forget to share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Ufahamu Africa you can also listen to Ufahamu Africa on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our website, ufahamuafrica.com. Ufahamu Africa is a production created by Kimi Dion and currently sponsored by the Program of African Studies and the Department of Political Science at Northwestern University in collaboration with the Department of Political Science at the University of California, Riverside. Kara Stevick, Medill School of Journalism Class of 2019, is Ufahamu Africa's Research and Production Assistant. Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Safiri Salama.